This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Jamie Windon of Lion Rum. We had a sensational time speaking with Jamie and talking about Lion Rum and their incredible rums that they make. Be sure to reach out to Jamie and Lion Rum and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. She's Jamie Windon. I'm Rich Shane. This is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I thank you for being here. And if the podcast is anything like the time we've just spent talking before this about Lion Rum, then people are going to have to turn down the speaker system because (laughs) there's so much energy right now on this podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. And I'm going to ask you a question that you probably never answered for anybody in the 10 years you've been a distiller. Jamie, how did Lion Rum get started? Oh my gosh. Um, I am very fond of saying that I have a penchant for saying yes to crazy ideas, uh, particularly those that I really have no business doing. Um, and like many things in my life, it was a kind of a spark of an idea. Uh, very, very small. I think a lot of people will say they started something on a whim, but you know, they did it with a million dollars in funding. Um, but when you've got about $10,000 in your bank account and you decide to drive down to Kentucky and buy a 26 gallon pot still and try to make rum, uh, that's a little bit different. So it was really a project idea, um, that spun wildly out of control, uh, in the first couple of years and with resounding, I don't know, excitement, appreciation, the town that we live in really embraced us. And we were able to grow into what is now a a very real business and real distilleries. So uh, as I think many people have said, if I knew what I was getting myself into, I never would have dared start a distillery, but I'm so glad I did. (laughs) What was, I mean, you, you synthesize it a little bit, but what was the conversation in your head as you're driving to Kentucky to pick up this pot still And just the experience of doing that. So fun. Like who doesn't love doing something that no one else is doing in a way that no one's doing it. And it's akin to the first time you pick up a paintbrush or a new book or meet a new person. Um, I love doing new things. I love learning uh, nearly as much as I love laughing. And so uh, it was a hoot to think about making rum in tiny batches Uh, on the Eastern shore. I have a long history of being in the hospitality business. Uh, So, you know, combining that love of making things for people um, 
serving people, educating people uh, with actually producing a very real product. Um, to back up a little bit, I had been living in Kenya uh, and working as a photojournalist for years previous to coming back to Maryland. And the town that we're in is called St. Michael's. It's on the Eastern shore. We are nestled in on a tributary of the Chesapeake Bay. And this town is known for making things. You might not realize that on your first trip to St. Michael's because it is idyllic. It's this gem of a tourist destination. Uh, you know, Wedding Crashers was filmed here. There's the big glorious inns and waterfront estates. Um, but there, it's been a destination for you know watermen and farmers to make their living. Uh, there was an old flour mill that operated here until the 70s. And when that closed down, this whole property known as the old mill birthed a winery and then a brewery. And so putting a tiny distillery in there just seemed like couldn't believe anybody hadn't done that yet. And so gave it gave it a go and uh, and it stuck. See, we're going to have to do a whole other conversation on the photojournalism side. You are like you, you, you keep peeling away the onion <laughs> and every single layer, it becomes more fascinating <laughs> Each time, you know, rum for you, what is it about rum? Rum is the best. It is the most versatile, interesting, diverse um, spirit out there, in my opinion. And furthermore, it's probably the most underappreciated spirit. And uh, it doesn't have a ton of respect among spirit drinkers. And I loved the idea of digging in to why that was the case, uh, making people you know, if we couldn't change their minds, at least we could get them to look twice and try something that they didn't expect. You know, it, it, it feels like a natural fit that you would have a rum distillery in a sailing town on the water. But we all know that most people come to the category of rum with preconceived notions and bad experiences with very sweet drinks or very, um, you know, poorly made rums that were just cheap when they were young. And it seems on the whole that the spirit aficionado uh, lends their respect to grain-based spirits over cane-based spirits. Um, you're even seeing, you know, tequila and uh, brandies rise in kind of this reverence where rum is still just, oh, people say, I don't think I like rum or flat out, they'll say, I don't drink rum. And so my question always is, what do you drink? What do you like? Because I guarantee I have a rum for that. So digging in deep into this one specific category and not even just rum because, you know, don't get me started. Rum as a global spirit is so wonderfully diverse. And when we talk about the differences between rum from Martinique or rum from Barbados or rum from India, uh, you could go on and on. Uh, but I decided to really try to become an expert in American rum, which 10 years ago, if you Googled American rum, you didn't really find much and you definitely don't have a defined category. So that was also exciting to delve into um, a category of spirits that was yet really um, un undefined and wide open. And, and, you know, that's the nature of rum. Rum has one rule. You have to make it from sugar cane. Um, but from there, you can do different substrates of sugar, which we do, uh, whatever yeast you like, aged or not, infused or not, um, different styles of stills. It's really a spirit that a distiller can put a unique fingerprint on. Um, and, and it's been really fun for us. Jamie, you speak to the American history of rum, the American current history of rum, because we can go back to the, the colonial times and settlers coming and it was basically cider and rum. 
Yeah. And that, you know, they didn't know what to do with the grains. The corn was not yet here, exactly. all those things. So it really was wrong. And it was cider. You've seen the progression as a rum distiller from that, hey, I'm going to drive to Kentucky, pick up a pot still, start doing some stuff with cane. Now, what is it like for you today when you're answering questions of the consumer about rum? You're talking to them that you've now, you, you don't just have a little pin on a map right. at Lion Rum. You have a reputation. People will travel to St. Michael's and they'll, love the charm of the town and enjoy the hospitality, which is what Dawn and I did. We found you. This is COVID. We're outside and you're doing this little outside area. You've got your bottle set up. And I'm like, this is, wow, how come we've never heard of this rum? And this is only two years ago. And then it's like that reticular activator thing, you know, you, you you see all those cars that you now bought that you never saw before. Yes, and then you yes. start seeing, you know, Lion Rum on, on different places and different things. So what's it like today with Lion Rum and the impact or the the banner or the masthead that you're now carrying in the industry? Oh, well, you know, I've always said it is so much more fun uh, and easy right in the beginning. So uh, as I said, I started my career in hospitality, but then I worked as an artist for, for years. And when you're new and nobody has any expectations of you, it is very easy to impress them. It's very easy for someone to walk in your doors or contract you to do something. And if their expectations are down here, you just have to go a little bit further and you can exceed their expectations. But when someone walks into your distillery and they've read this and they've read that and they've heard the good news and they Googled us and they found out that for the last three years, we've been named the USA Today best craft rum distillery in America. They walk in and they're like, all right, hit me. Show me what you got. Lion rum. It's so good. <laughs> you know, I I saw the founder. She was talking about how it's the best rum ever. Um, it's it's harder, right? It's naturally there, there's preconceived ideas. It's like being on the bestseller list, you know, like. Somebody's going to criticize your book just because they can. So, so that's been different. So I'm always trying to find ways to continue to delight and impress people. Um, I will say that the quality of our rum is absolutely fantastic. It's better than it's ever been. I mean, we are on something like batch 308 of our dark rum. I mean, we, we make small batches, so we've really honed in and perfected. But it's also about talking to the people when they get there. So yes, I you could walk in and I could just throw what I think you need to learn at you. But nobody wants to be told that. Well, maybe some people do. But for the most part, I want to know about you. What brought you here? What do you like to drink? How do you drink it at home? Are you someone who loves your blender and you like creamy, rich drinks? Do you want all the classics reinterpreted with a rum as their base? Because that's one area I excel in. Um, and it's really about getting people to tell me what they like. And then I find something that, that they like. And it's easier to do that now because nine years ago, I only had one or two kind of weird rums that nobody quite understood. And now we have a wide array, you know, six year round offerings as well as seasonal expressions. So I will tell you, there is rare is it a day that somebody walks in and doesn't leave loving something that we've made. Um, and so that's, that's really great. So it's same, same, but different. Um, and, you know, as the industry's grown, because we were all alone uh, in so many regards, especially on the East coast, 
when we started making rum. So people didn't have a point of reference. They thought it was absolutely bizarre that we were making rum here. They always wanted to know where I got my rum from, as in I purchased it from a Caribbean distillery. And so I would drag them to the back and show them the little pot stills and the little buckets of molasses. And, uh, and that was interesting for people. But now, you know, we're in, we're in much better company. Uh, there's a ton of small American rum distilleries, um, some of which are actually just focused on making rum, uh, which is the other thing. So we have this advent of, of distilleries making rum in America. You know, when Lion was started, there were about 100, give or take, craft distilleries in the country 10 years ago. Now there's, I don't know, almost 3,000 or something. Yeah, it's, it's over 3,000. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And so a lot more are making rum, but it is still very rare to find a distillery that is exclusively committed to making rum and rum only. Um, and so when you look at the ones that are, they're doing beautiful work. They're making really good rum. And so to me, they're furthering that category. But I can also say that if you line up our American rum against some of my friends, amazing American rum, they're very different still. So it still speaks to the fact that you can have fantastic procedures, methods, your own artistry, but it's still very different. And I think that's the beauty of the spirit. Yeah, I mean, to your point, it's your water that you're creating your rum with. Yes, you may be bringing in sugar cane that others have access to, but it's still your distilling method. You decide where to make those cuts. And even if everybody had those same ingredients, you very well will see different rums of different flavor, viscosity, profile that others would be making. And I think that's certainly what makes your rum very special. It's you. It's, you know, you're taking this adventure and you're creating this wonderful line of rum and you're sticking to the rum and you're saying, this is where I'm going to be. This is, you know, what we're going to do to raise the level of what people expect of rum now. You explained something a little bit about how people have bad rum experiences. Um, I find that more with gin than I have had with rum. I, I think rum is that American craft that as I travel, I hope more people receive it. I hope more people explore it because here in the United States, we have bourbon, we have different whiskeys. I think rum to me, as it's still, you know, in that category of being young to the American palate and the American purchases now is very much like a new American single malt. People are still discovering what you as, as that distiller can do with rum today. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, because every single year, I just got off the phone with one of my distributors this week, you know, oh, the forecast says, this is the year of rum. This is, you know, the public is, is, is well poised to appreciate rum and rum's going to rise to the top. And blah, 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 blah. Uh, ask anybody in the industry that sells rum. They've been saying that for a long time. Uh, and I will, my very unpopular opinion is I don't ever want rum to be the fad drink of the moment. Um, because with that comes a bunch of commodity rum flooding the market that's not made with love. I would rather be, stay in this area where rum is, a little bit underappreciated so that you can really delight people when you have good rum. But that said, I want more people making very good rum. Um, I just wanted to stay in this little, this little area uh, where it's still something that's more, I don't know, not elusive. I don't know what the word is for it, but I don't, it doesn't need to have a moment. Uh, it's already having a moment in the right circles. Put it that way. There are enough people 
from the makers, the distillers, to the consumers, to the you know the influencers, to the bartenders that love rum. And so it's so much more rewarding when you find that person for me, when I'm out selling rum, when I'm hitting the streets of Queens, you know, talking to people about rum and nine times out of 10, a bar says, eh, you know, we don't sell a lot of rum here. And I'm like, well, do you try? Do you, do you make a beautiful cocktail with rum and, and put it on the menu? But then you walk into somewhere and just when you're feeling, you know, down and out, uh, you walk into a place unexpected. You don't walk into a tiki bar. You don't walk into a rum bar. You walk into a regular restaurant or bar and the beverage manager or the owner looks at you and says, Oh, thank God. I love rum. And that is the best feeling in the world. Cause I'm like, I found my people and then I sit down and I'm there way too long and I'm pouring rum and they're, they're pouring me rum and we're sharing things. And I love when someone wants to pour me something that they love that I've never heard of. Right. So it drives my sales reps crazy. Cause they're like, what is this woman doing? Like we're here to sell rum and she's drinking all of their rum from these other places, but it's, it's like finding like-minded. And I think that you know, I have always put myself in positions where I am not like everybody else. And, and then it allows you to shine in your own right, to be uninfluenced by the masses. And then when you find those people, you find your people. Yeah, you find your people, area, right? Yeah. It's amazing. So, so no, I don't want to spend all day walking into rum bars that are just ready to buy whatever I'm selling. Like, no. And I, and, and I don't want that. I don't, I, I probably would, I probably would lose my love of it. <laughs> Well, we can't have that, Jamie. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, take us through some of these expressions. Okay. I come to you. You ask me that question. How do I enjoy my rum? Honestly, I like rum to as a base, just to sip. Yep. I don't put I don't put uh, an ice cube in it. Mm -hmm. But then, if I find that I enjoy that rum, yeah, we'll play a little bit. But I I, I don't like to mask it with. Me personally, with syrups and fruits and creams, and um, I, 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 that's just me. I know other people appreciate that, but I just love as as that rum came off the still, and then as you, the distiller, created this wonderful expression. That's the way I want to enjoy it. I mean, nobody takes a winemaker's wine. I mean. You know, like your right. wine is delicious. Can't wait to go home and make sangria with it. It's right. Like, <laughs> and here's a conversation I always have with Dawn. And we'll 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 be going through to a winery and I'll say something like, that would be a good sangria wine. And but what you mean is it's not good enough on its own. No, not at all. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> it's like this weird backhanded compliment. Yeah, um, but so nobody does that with wine. I mean, but here's sort of the one the fair, one thing you make cocktails out of. Yes, but and but that's the thing. So spirits, I believe, can be enjoyed always. I love a purist that wants it right off the still. I love somebody that wants the cast strength expression. But I also love somebody who tells me their perfect balanced drink because I love a good cocktail. I love a velvety, smooth, rich cocktail that delights you on all levels. To be fair, I like really strong cocktails. Uh, my idea of the perfect cocktail is booze with booze and more booze expression <laughs> of fruit. Um, so that said, for somebody who loves the spirit, um, it, I would have two options for you, right? I would say you're either going to drink our sailor's reserve and absolutely love it because it is our, it's a pure rum. It is our only barrel aged rum. And being that it's only two years in 15 gallon, smaller format barrels, I don't even say aged. We use the term finished 
um, or rested, you know, it's reposada style, right? It, it's, it's not, when you say age drum, I think almost everybody hears old four years at minimum, eight years, 12 years, oh, 24 years, you know? So, so I, we're not aiming to be that, you know, we've, we've been making rum for over nine years. We could have a nine-year rum. Uh, we don't want to, that's not our mission. Our mission is to distill a beautiful young American rum. And then for the sailors, finish it in a way that nods to the barrel influence, but it's not transformed. So if you love the raw distillate and you want to just sip it completely unadulterated, Sailor's Reserve. And when people ask me for recipes for the Sailor's Reserve, I do not have any. That is to be drank neat or on the rocks. That's that's what it's designed for. Yes, you can make a killer old fashioned with it. You can put it in, you know, um, gosh, in any any cocktail that calls for whiskey, you can use the Sailor's Reserve. But why would you? It's very delicate. It will get buried and lost um, because it's it's soft. Uh, although it's bottled at 100 proof. Uh, the oak influence is very subtle. It's the color of pale straw. It's not a deep, rich, honeyed rum in any way. If anything, you didn't know what it was, and I poured you some, you might think it was a weird Irish whiskey because um, it drinks like that. It's bone dry. Um, but if you said, I love rum in a glass, I don't know about the raw distillate, but I really also drink, you know, cognacs and I like things that are rich, our dark rum is our flagship spirit. It is our pot distilled white rum finished with a touch of homemade smoky caramel. And while adding caramel and sugar and things to rum is super controversial, it's not a big secret for us. It's been always the way we did our dark rum. You know, it was from day one that we went to open with just a white rum and it was December. And the hospitality in me said, we have to give somebody something to taste aside this. So let's make something, even if we don't sell it, let's make what something might taste like if they had a comparison. Well, long story short, people absolutely loved the seasonal rum that we didn't really plan on being a product. And it's, it's a happy product. accident, right? A happy accident. Absolutely. And so that is not sweet. Um, it has about, I don't know, maybe two grams of sugar, you know, per serving, if that. Um, I don't have my... BDAS uh, chart. <laughs> light, right? It's just this finishing note that that really melds, and we let it rest in stainless steel tanks, and it just is gorgeous. So, slight hint of sweetness, but it's butterscotchy and rich and honeyed, um, and is great on the rocks. Great in a rum Negroni. If you hear that clinking, yeah, glass. I hear it, and I'm very <laughs> jealous that I don't have one at this no, time, but I will. Um, I will. I think that's what's going to be on tap for one of the cocktails tonight. For oh, sure. it's so great. I love a rum Negroni. You can do a rum Negroni with, um, with white rum, uh, but you can make it more like in the Boulevardier style of, a, a, I believe it's like a Kingston Negroni is what a lot of people call it with dark rum and, you know, and, and a Campari or craft Campari alternative and sweet vermouth. Pardon the interruption. If you like what you hear, if you love what you're hearing, please share the podcast. Please take a screenshot of the podcast, post it on your social media, tag us just to let everybody else know about Fermented Adventure, the podcast. We'd be grateful for your help to grow our podcast. All right. So, so you just named a couple of things and I just want to say, all right, if we're starting and we're tasting some of the expressions, should we start with your silver rum and oh, talk okay. about that? Yep. So, um, you know, ours is not a silver rum in the way that most people think of or silver. Or a white rum. rum. Yeah. Cause a lot of people, I think 
Um, you know, again, this is why rum, I think, is daunting to the consumer. And it's even hard for a rum maker to have absolutes. But in general, a silver rum will refer to a rum that has been barrel aged and then charcoaled back to clear. Um, and so you get certain, you know, vanilla notes and softness from being in a barrel. Ours is a raw white rum. It is hot distilled from a fermentation of Louisiana sugarcane. We use two substrates of sugar. We use both the raw, fresh pressed sugar cane uh, crystals that are still wet, you know, with the cane juice and molasses. Uh, and we use a champagne yeast. So we use a very clean, um, minimal impact. The yeast is not imparting flavors into our rum fermentation. Rather, it's letting that cane shine through. So when you pour your white rum in the glass, know that that is an unfiltered, unaged white rum bottled at 90 proof. It's going to hit you with that grassy note that is just straight up Louisiana cane terroir, uh, which, you know, we more and more people are talking about terroir in spirits. Uh, but for a long time, that was considered, you know, a faux pas to say that your spirit had terroir, you know, only wine could claim that. But I think the closer we get to our fermentable sugars and hone it in true pot distilled fashion. I mean, we, we run two distillations on classic pot stills with short little copper necks and they, the, the, the character comes through. Right. So anyways, the white rum is awesome. Uh, it is, has that salinity on the nose. It has a beautiful minerality. It's clean, um, but has a long finish, uh, no edges, but a really beautiful kind of back of the throat baking molasses character. I love a classic daiquiri. If it wasn't, you know, 20 degrees outside, uh, I keep it tropical in my house, but uh, a classic daiquiri is usually my go-to. And I do two parts white rum, or white rum, of course, um, an ounce of uh, fresh squeezed lime juice, an ounce of simple syrup, and shake that up and strain it out and three sips max. And that's <laughs> done. You know? I, so I, I love a classic daiquiri. So someone, that's another thing I would recommend to you is a classic daiquiri, because right. even though you said you don't like to bury your spirit, citrus just brings everything great out in, in rum. I love, I love fresh citrus. Yeah. I think just to, I mean, you've said a lot there and for the understanding, I think to appreciate a different spirit like this, first you start and take the base. Yeah. And then you build off of that. I love a daiquiri. Um, as you talked about, you know, taking rum and, you know, maybe replacing that where there might be a whiskey there and yeah. playing with that as a cocktail. That's delicious because you don't lose the character. It's to me, look, I will drink a, you know, pina colada. I mean, I won't say no to that. Same. But that to me is you're really not getting the full effect and the full appreciation of the rum yeah. that went in there. No. You're just drinking a nice, you know, hey, it's the shore, it's the beach. Yeah, it's a my feet up. right. It's a small component. And, you know, I, I have to constantly remind people that your body knows the difference if you're drinking bad alcohol in your drinks. So like, even if you can't taste it, but listen, I bartended in the nineties. The goal was to bury the alcohol so nobody could taste it. Like that used to be the compliment. This drink is so good. I can't even taste the alcohol. And now we're back to spirit forward cocktails where people want to taste and hone the alcohol. You're trying to kind of bring out the best notes of it and just accompany it with something else. You know, right now there's a, there's a bar in town that's doing this gorgeous cocktail and it's I believe it's just like a little lemon juice, um, some crazy Alpinian liqueur and they've paired our dark rum with rye and with Calvados. So wow. you're, you're, you're really playing to 
different notes, right? So I think cocktail artistry uh, is quite fun and quite fascinating. You know, um, I'm not good at that. I don't invent drinks. I just take classics and put my rum in it. <laughs> Look, you, you provide the medium for other people to do their <laughs> right. craft. And that's what you do. As you're describing this rum, the wonderful experience I just got was I can re- recreate that first experience of meeting you at the distillery outside with all your rums out there, but that nose just transformed me back to St. Michael's. Mm -hmm. And I loved, and I still do, the juiciness, the funk of your rum, the just, you mentioned salinity, and I didn't really see it until you, I didn't nose it until you said that. And then it did, there's an undertone of that, which draws me into, hey, it's a a fishing village community. It's a little harbor town. I, I can certainly see that. Um, and I can feel that, but there's also um, this undertone of slight smokiness, mm-hmm. and that may come from just the filtration of the rum, or or, or it's really what? the molasses. I think really just that's the smokiness, smokiness of it. Yeah, because we don't, you know, this is straight off the still, so our hearts it's not filtered. Our hearts no. come off the still, you know, around 100 and like our final aggregate of each still, which is about four gallons off of each still, if we're lucky, right, is about 152. Um, proof. Um, so it's, it's that pure water, you know, and unfortunately as beautiful as we are here on the Bay, we don't use, um, our lovely water. We use purified reverse osmosis water to proof down. So we're not having any real character of the town, um, in that element, uh, for, for better, trust me, the miles river is a <laughs> brackish, salty in a bad way type situation. Um, but yeah, I, I, I attribute that, that back end smoke to the molasses and your front end aromatics to the raw cane sugar. And that's where two substrates of sugar can really shine and make sense. Um, I don't know that we had any idea that they would do that. It was just a way of, I mean, imagine trying to put yourself in a way of how will you define American rum? Well, for me, it was number one, American sugar cane uh, distilled in America, and then trying to blend the best of two global styles of rum, rum agricole made from fresh cane juice, right? And our more classic, you know, Jamaican pot distilled molasses based rum. So could we take those kind of two, you know, for all intents and purposes, there's so many more styles. Could we, could we merge that? And so this was the idea and it worked. I think it's working. I, it definitely worked because this is amazing. And I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking as you're explaining all this in the process to what is in the bottle today, mm-hmm. is that pretty much the same in, uh, initial original flavor profile or is it going through some changes over time? Yeah, no, Rich, I'd love to say it's been gold since day <laughs> one, um, but no, you know, one, we didn't have a handle on our sugar source for a few years. We were small. We literally, the first rum was a five gallon bucket of molasses. And then we started buying 55 gallon buckets of molasses and we were buying them always American molasses and sugar. Right. But it was, it was just on the commodity market. Like I'd go to a website and order it and it would come from either South Carolina or, you know, Alabama or Florida, no big deal. It was fine, but it wasn't until maybe was it year three or four? I can't remember. Um, it might, you know, this is our 10th year. It might as well be the 100th year, but also, <laughs> right? but there was a point at which I was like, wait, 
we, we can start choosing who we get our sugar from. And so um, we looked at a sugar mill in Louisiana. Um, we started ordering a lot more at a time, you know, 250 gallon totes started showing up. And now it's to the point where five times a year, we get um, 50,000 pounds of sugar delivered to the distillery at one time. So a tractor trailer pulls up and 19 skids of raw sugar cane in 2000 pound bags and molasses in 275 gallon totes get offloaded. And that is a hell of a lot of sugar. Um, and it's, it's wild. But so once we made that decision, I know that the quality that naturally ticked up the quality, but also at that point we had been distilling every day for three years. Like you, you do not get worse. If things are normal, you get better, right? Like you keep doing something repetition what people love talking about 10,000 hours. I don't even know how many. Yeah. You, you're, you're, you're four times that easy, right? Yeah. I mean, we're running little pot stills that take nine hours to make four gallons each. I mean, that's nuts. So those, that repetition, that honing, um, learning how to be better distillers along with refining processes. Also, you know, our white rum is not aged, but now we have the benefit of resting it in stainless tanks. So we have always a, a large quantity of rum on hand, uh, and it's all melded and vatted and rested. And it's, it's just beautiful. You know, also I think it's been, it's either six or seven years that, um, a, a angel of a distiller fell in my lap. Um, a, a young man from Nashville read about our distillery in, um, in an artisan spirit magazine, wrote me a letter, a handwritten letter about how he wanted, this was his dream. I didn't have a job for him at the time. I was like, I, you know, sorry, like stay in Nashville. Uh, he didn't listen. He showed up and started working with us. And he has been our head distiller. I mean, for, for the last five or six years, and he has taken everything we do to the next level of absolute, you know, repeatability, high standards of, of, of exact you know, perfection. And so we're really lucky. Um, everything's come together at the distillery in a perfect way, you know, because for the same reason you hadn't maybe heard of Lion Rum when you came to visit us, you know, we're loud, we're weird, we're everywhere, but also we're super small. Um, and now I can't even believe that I have a team of like 15 people, you know, more in the, in the busy season, but it's all people that found their way to Lion and have grown in their career, thereby filling roles that I never even knew I needed to fill. Because I have to say, like at the beginning of this conversation, I'm an artist. I am not a businesswoman. So I am this accidental CEO that fights what people advise me on every single day um, because I want to do things in a very natural, fun, different way that is, that is, probably harder than it needs to be because there's so much reward when you do it the hard way and it works. Um, right. so I'm, I'm really lucky uh, to have such a great team um, and to have my sister um, uh, found her way, you know, to the distillery back to Maryland after our first year of being open. And she runs uh, so much. She runs our entire wholesale division and she pushes me uh, to do things, you know, more according to what our customers need or the industry needs. And yeah, it's just great. So, so yes, it is, it is not the same rum, uh, batch one to batch 20. We're probably all wildly different because we were also distilling, proofing, bottling, selling out, taking the money to buy more molasses and starting again. So, you know, you're learning each time and some batches are 
good. Some batches are okay. Now in the three hundreds of batches that we've done, uh, you have absolute consistency because batch 304 to 305 is probably 99% exactly the same, right? We're adding in, we're adding that product. So there's, there's consistency, there's beauty, there's refinement. Um, but the, it's the same spirit. One question, who yeah. is this head distiller that you speak so highly of? Oh, Brett Steigerwald um, is our head distiller. He was an engineer by trade, but a spirits aficionado, um, you know, by nature. And so he moved up here from Nashville, uh, took a job with us when we really didn't have a job for him, learned how to work in a small, rugged, bootstrappy distillery, um, and has really built our um, our portfolio. Everything that goes into my head as an idea, Brett has put into a bottle. So where we started the first couple of years with white rum and dark rum and tiny barrels of Sailor's Reserve, it wasn't until Brett came on board that we were able to launch a coffee rum, a gorgeous Curacao, my beloved rockin' rum that's a rum old-fashioned in a bottle, you know, and everything else, my sister's coconut rum, our seasonal blackberry rum, all of that uh, is just an idea in my head until Brett can make it a reality. So yeah, he's fantastic. I said, oh, and, and Brett just got married last week, so I know that coming to the Eastern Shore was great. He found the love of his life, and now he lives in this tiny town and makes rum and uh, found his beloved. So yeah. The distillery That's is tremendous. Just yeah, it's like if if you're not overwhelmed with just the story of the distillery and the what's going into these these bottles, and you don't appreciate that, there's there's even so much more as you describe to this adventure that you're on. I have to share with you the even as I finished what I poured, the molasses notes, the fruity, the juicy notes, they still linger. They didn't go away. And that to me is a tribute to a high quality spirit that your mouth is still enjoying that experience. And it wasn't just, oh, you know, that was, that was, right. there, but it's not, this is, that, that was wonderful. So let me say, there's a lot of things that can be wrong with the spirit. And there's a lot of things that I don't like about a spirit. Um, but the thing I like the least about a spirit is a thin spirit that is unforgettable or sorry, that is forgettable. Right. Like, like <laughs> just like, right. oh, OK, whatever. Right. I, I, I don't hate it, but there's nothing to love. So I would rather someone give me something that is so weird and out of bounds and that I don't actually even like. Like if, if you give me something I don't like, but it, it has a personality, I'm going to, you know, revere that so much higher than something that just kind of tastes super. For boring. Right. So one thing I'll say to people. Not super rum, boring. No, not super boring. So no. I think our rum is amazing. I think all of our liqueurs are divine. I think that we make some of the best spirits I've ever had. And most of my bar cart is my rum. But my promise to people these days is not that I'm going to give you the best rum you've ever had, because that's a bold statement. And everyone's different. My promise is that when you try Lion Rum, it will be unlike any other rum you've ever tried. And it might be your favorite. You know. All right. So with that, we have a number of other things that we get to enjoy. What should we where should we delve next? So, you know, if you're doing a proper vertical tasting, you go okay. from all white to the two-year barreled sailors to the dark rum. But if we're talking about making good cocktails, there is no finer orange liqueur in this world. And I said it. I this is a bold statement, but I stand by it. Our curacao 
is the coolest orange liqueur out there. And in fact, it's the only orange liqueur you need. Yes, you don't need Grand Marnier. You don't need Triple Sec. You don't need Cointreau. And you don't even need Aperol if you have our Curacao because it is this awesome thing where we take the white rum. So you just had the white rum. We take the white and we infuse it with sweet orange, bitter orange, cardamom, clove, angelica. I call this the witchcraft. And it, it just makes a beautiful, dynamic, super versatile, definitely not boring uh, orange liqueur that you can put in any drink that calls orange liqueur. And the secret, not secret ingredient is cardamom. I mean, the cardamom is just gives it a real wow factor and makes it, I often say it's a, it's an orange based rum liqueur that wants to be in Amaro. So tell me what you think. All right. So you're, I'm going to pour this now. This has not ever been opened. Um, I, I, I haven't had this yet. Dawn hasn't had it yet. I'm surprised she's not bursting into the room wanting to uh, at least try this right now, but we will make sure we add this to our drinking list tonight. Yeah. Oh so my God. This is, this is fun. I mean, we didn't, again, part of when we met you was COVID. So mm-hmm. there really wasn't any tastings you were you. able to do. Right. No, so we didn't try fun. this till we got home. So yeah. this has been here. This has been in this little bottle for two years. Oh, I love it. <laughs> well, it's two crazy. years for us. Yeah. So the thing about, you know, tasting spirits with people is great because I can tell you things, but the power of suggestion is, is something that we know is very real. Um, so what I do is I just list the ingredients. Like I just told you what was in it. Um, but it is, it's explosively flavorful. Um, I think Curacao people in the rum world and people in the cocktail world understand that dry Curacao is different than what everybody else thinks of that sweet blue Curacao. So Curacao kind of gets, um, I don't know, a, a reputation or people think, Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. That's too sweet. And then they try ours and it's this bitter botanical explosion. And so it's my secret weapon. If I have to make any drink in any competition, any wow factor, anywhere from a teaspoon to a full pour of that Curacao will make any drink better. And it makes a hell of a margarita, a hell of a sidecar. Um, it's it's a great it's a great cocktail um, ingredient. Jamie, I was going to say that if when you pointed out that this is a secret ingredient as a <laughs> yeah. bartender, if you're looking for that you know c- competition or that wow factor for your clients at the bar, as you're you know describing some of those flavors in there and the experience, I got to enjoy that. Um, Tiffany Berrier. Um, she's out there and, um, she's amazing with cocktails. We're going to put her, you know, in touch with this so she can make some wonderful cocktails. Um, cause I'd love to see what people can do. Like you talked about that little bar in town. It's making this wonderful cocktail with your rum. What I immediately get from this, you, you get that base rum, that white rum that you're producing and that what that's what amplifies these other flavors. I love the cardamom in here. I, this has such a um, this has such an Indian personality to it. There's with the ninety proof of the rum and the other um, botanicals in there, you get the spiciness from this. Mm-hmm. You still get the molasses that comes through. I love the viscosity that just coats your mouth and sits on the back again. I, 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 this will linger for a while. Yeah. And if, if I had some sort of a, an aftershave, you know, this is like an aftershave for the mouth because 
it's it's such a wonderful essence that I you, you get the bitterness of the orange and as you pointed out as an amaro like beverage or cocktail or you know if you're looking for this this is this is tremendous how did you come up with this idea what was okay. it that yeah. So I'll tell you right now, the best ideas I don't always come up with, you know, okay. the best thing you do is listen. So if you look at a bottle um, of Curacao, um, it is it it tells the story. You know, we don't we don't tell these silly stories about, oh, this recipe of this or your like we, we just talk about real things. Right. Um, so a good friend of ours uh, came to us with an idea for botanicals. Um, and basically it was like, Hey, I have an idea for a Curacao that would incorporate these really cool botanicals. And I think it would be really, really great if those were steeped into your rum. And we are like, yeah, cool. Why not? Come on over. So we made like a test batch. Um, you know, Brett then ended up refining it over, you know, the iterations, because let me tell you, putting a bunch of botanicals into a funky white rum with all of that character. And I'm glad you got the character of the white rum, right? Because, um, our white rum really shines through. So people often say, oh, you know, are you using a different type of rum for this? Or, and most people might, right? Use like a rum that wasn't so painstakingly crafted to be a beautiful white rum when they're going to dump botanicals in like the Curacao or with our coffee rum, um, we put a ton of coffee and cacao. So, you know, their argument is, do you even taste the base spirit after you add all these things. And we're like, yeah, absolutely. We, we taste, you taste all of that. Um, it's very important. And so I'm glad that it came through, uh, for you. Um, so anyways, our friend, Chad, uh, Chad Robinson, uh, who has been in the distilling industry, he was like, let's try this. So we steep those in, we tried different filtration. So it is the Curacao has come a long way. Um, but it was absolutely, uh, his idea and he, he's recognized on the back of our Curacao label. It just says, our, our beloved friend, Chad, had this wonderful idea. And, you know, that was the inspiration for this. And I loved it because I wanted an orange liqueur that we could make the best Mai Tais and cocktails with. And so um, it's it's become this real delight for us. And it's something I'm incredibly proud of. Um, but I'm incredibly proud of the, um, you know, bringing someone else's idea to fruition in this wonderful way. So. Tremendous. And that bitterness that I would normally have from an Amaro yeah. is still lingering. Yeah. And if you That's notice, also high, it's pretty high proof for a liqueur. Yeah. Um, you know, at 35%, it's our, our liqueur line. I lean into using the word liqueurs, but our lowest proof alcohol we've ever put out is 30%. Um, so, you know, that's having a 60 proof liqueur, it's almost a spirit. I mean, you know, what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, you're not, you're not going into that like 20% or lower, like, so you get a viscosity, but that's really, you get, you get a viscosity in our white rum, which is absolutely a pure rum with nothing added. Um, so you get that mouthfeel from a carefully pot distilled rum that is also proofed gently and lovingly and rested. Um, so, so that carries through because I think a lot of people, you can praise the, the mouthfeel because the mouthfeel is important uh, element of, of spirit appreciation, but people hear viscosity and all they think is syrupy sweet, you know, like when you think of like a really thick, sweet liqueur that's been, you know, it's just a sugar bomb. Uh, and ours just simply aren't. Uh, we use sugar in our liqueurs to bring out the flavors that already exist rather than to sweeten it um, 
because I don't have a sweet palate. I mean, I love sweets every once in a while, but I, you know, I drink my coffee black. Um, I like things to taste the way they taste. I don't want it oversweetened to dull the flavors. I want to use the sugar to bring out the flavors and just make it delightful. Um, but that said, not a lot of people like the curacao on its own because that bitterness sneaks up on them. Uh, the typical palate doesn't love bitter, whereas a lot of us do. Um, us, us being those in the spirits world, <laughs> us bitter people. <laughs> yeah, you can all of it, right? It's it's an acquired taste. Um, so there's that, and also cardamom is such a delight because it is so underused in the American cooking, culinary, you know, beverage uh, world. And I spent a lot of time in India uh, working as a photographer. And that's, so I, see, that's where that, that influence comes in. Yeah, so it, that makes me really happy. Yeah. that That's quite homage to your roots of uh, flavor profiles and things you enjoy. As, as you're talking about this, I mean, if I'm going to do anything with this, um, Amaro Santoni, we just had that and they were a guest on the podcast and really all they suggest to do, I mean, there are other things you can do with that Amaro, yeah. uh, but they just add a little club soda. And I would just, if you want to make this, add a little club soda because yeah. that effervescence is going to bring about some different things on the tongue and the mouthfeel. Um, but this is tremendous. This is delicious. And I love it. And, you know, that viscosity to me, as you described it, uh, not not sugary sweet like you know you characterize, but it's almost like you know eating some cotton candy. Not the sweetness of the cotton candy, yeah, yeah. but how it fills your mouth, and then it just kind of melts. And I yeah. think that's where the viscosity in my mind is presenting itself in what we've had so far. It just coats everything wonderfully, and then it just allows everything else to either elevate or you know come in, come out, and just you know do do its thing. So I love that. Well, another big complaint I have, if, if I'm allowed to complain. You can, is, well, um, others are complaining. You're not. Right. I mean, maybe you do. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't stand when somebody gives me a spirit and the nose promises something that the palate doesn't deliver. Mm -hmm. When there is a discordance between what it smells like and what it tastes like, I feel cheated, right? So like, I hate when I'm given something with a big, beautiful nose and then I drink it and it's just flat and then there's no finish. And, you know, there's a million things we could talk about it, why that is, but it's just unacceptable in my opinion. But then again, I, I, I have strong opinions. So for me, what I will say about all of our spirits is the nose promises what the palate delivers, right? And so if you don't like the smell of my weird white rum that kind of smells like tequila, you might not like how it tastes either, um, but it's going to smell and taste similar because everything is, is done really intensely um, as far as the distillation. But then with all of our liqueurs, everything's 100% whole ingredients. So we don't use any extracts, flavorings, colorings, like all of that is so bunk in my opinion, because not only is it gross mm -hmm. and I don't want to put that in my body. And that's not craft either. That's not what craft should be. But it doesn't right? taste good. Like right. orange extract will never taste as good as fresh peeled oranges. Like it's just a fact. Um, so when you have producers that are doing things from scratch, truly doing them from scratch every step of the way, it makes a huge difference. Um, it makes everything more, more onerous and more expensive, uh, but whatever, right? Like that's the price literally that you pay for having something that is genuine. And so in that regard, um, everything is bold. Everything is vibrant. Um, it's like full color television, you know, coming right at you. In HD. <laughs> <laughs> Right here, baby. 3D. What, 
what what would you recommend that we enjoy next? Okay, so um, a natural segue would be the rock and rum. The okay. rock and rum is my pride and joy. Uh, and and guess what? This one's never been opened either. Get out of here, Rich. <laughs> no, we no, we we save stuff. I don't know. That's like I said, we we wanted to this moment to yes. share with you, so you could take us through this. This is okay, why we so saved it. You have had our flagship dark rum, correct? Yes. So our dark rum is is beautiful, right? It's a it's a great rum that can be drank on its own. It's great in a dark and stormy style cocktail. You know, we call them Chesapeake storms out here. Uh, so rum and ginger beer. Um, it's great this time of year in hot toddies. The rock and rum is simply taking that dark rum to the next level. Uh, there's two reasons that the rock and rum was born. Right, I'm I'm going to stop you, and yeah. I have to apologize. The dark rum was never opened. I know what the heck's wrong with us. No, actually, we'll go backwards. Do the rock and rum first. Normally, okay. I would say the dark rum first. I apologize to those listeners on the podcast. <laughs> Rich has too many spirits in his in his stead is what we're learning. We do, yeah. You just can't keep track of You're like someone who's fostering too many animals and you, you've reached your limit. No more cats. And I need another cat. <laughs> nope, nope. You don't need a, You just need some time to drink. Um, <laughs> so normally I would do the dark and then the rock, but because you just came from the carousel, we're going to dial it back. So the rock and rum was born because my tasting room was never allowed to make cocktails per our license. So I would recommend that people take the dark rum and make a rum old fashioned. And of course they looked at me like I was absolutely nuts. They would say, you can't make an old fashioned with rum. Well, that's changed a lot in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. People are making old fashions with everything from gin to tequila and back again. Right. Uh, Which I love because an old fashioned isn't a whiskey cocktail. It's a style of cocktail, my friends. Um, So anyways, uh, (laughs) If they did believe me that they could make a rum old fashioned, they were like, wait, I got to get fancy cherries and I got to have an orange and what are bitters. So I said, we need to put this in a bottle. And I had always loved, you know, kind of the history and the lore of the rock and rye, right? That first maybe prohibition style cocktail where everybody had their own recipe behind the bar and then it was bottled for years and then it fell out of fashion. And then it came back with a vengeance. And I was like, look, we're just going to rock and rum. And at that time, the TTB had a category for rock and rum. They also had like rock and brandy and rock and other stuff, but I could not find anyone that had made a rock and rum. Uh, That's changed since there's a handful of rock and rum distillers uh, in the country, which is pretty cool. Uh, I think it should be a thing. I don't just want it to be my thing. I just was only maybe nut that wanted to do it um so many years ago so this was our first uh foray into into a bottled cocktail but that bottle cocktail is 84 proof so it's not the bottled cocktails that you've been seeing in the last few years that are really low in alcohol and high in sugar it is simply an infused rum so we take our dark rum we zest fresh orange peels right into that smoking caramel we steep uh luxardo italian cherries into the rum uh and we finish it with a you know little house-made slew of proprietary bitters. And it's fantastic. It's uh, it's my favorite thing. Uh, I like it straight. Uh, most people prefer it on ice because when it's on ice, the bitter, it's quite bitter. Um, it's a strong kick of bitters at the end and it's high proof. So um, a lot of people like it on ice. Uh, some people like it in Prosecco or in hot apple cider or in ginger beer, however you want it. Uh, it's good for you. But I basically made that because we weren't allowed to make cocktails. So I put a cocktail in a bottle and Brett, uh, our distiller was the one who finally got that out of my head and into a bottle perfectly. So 
my first order of business right now, Jamie, is I want to apologize to you. Why did I wait so long to open this? <laughs> yeah, that you just and, apologize to yourself, Rich. It's your law. And why don't I have a big <laughs> bottle of this, at least a dozen or so? This is tremendous. This is so I really the nose is wonderful. It, it's got that base again of your rum. It's you, you can now start to bring out that orange effervescence, that yeah. zest that's in there. When you said, hey, I want the nose to give me the anticipation of what I should be tasting, that was there. That was spot on. But what you did not prepare me for was the first you get the rum, then you get this orange flavor, then you get this cherry burst, and then you get the spicy notes and the 84 proof that sits there and allows everything to just kind of be in its moment. This is like, I'm, I'm going to say this is like uh, the Zen rum. It's, it's like, there's so much, I want to say namaste to this rum and just now I want to do yoga. <laughs> I feel like it, it definitely takes you on a journey, right? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's bitter and sweet and tart and strong. Like it's all the things, right? So like the, it's the perfect cocktail in my opinion. Um, and I will tell you, people who love the rock and rum, love the rock and rum. And people who don't love the rock and rum, do not care for it at all. And that's fine because I think that in order to make something great, truly great, you can't make something that everybody likes because by nature, you have to like take a stand, right? So none of our rums are normal or average or palatable to everybody. Um, people ask me all the time, oh, I just want to make something more like X, Y, and Z. I'm like, no, like somebody's already doing that. Like, why would I make a rum? that tastes like something that's already- Can you make a Malibu, please? No. <laughs> right? But we talked about our coconut You do rum. make a coconut rum. The coolest it's... coconut rum in the entire world. Like, let's just be clear about that. Like, there is no coconut rum like Lion Coconut Rum. Um, and that is my sister uh, gets full credit of that because I, for years, Rich, people would walk into our tasting room and they would take one look at me or my sister, or my mother, who was working behind the counter and see a bunch of girls. And they'd go, so do you guys like make a coconut rum? And I would be all, no, we make serious rum. We're super serious about making pure, real rums. Um, let me show you my pot stills that are dripping slowly in the back. you know. And uh, and I was really defiant because again, I, I felt like it was the stereotype. It was the same stereotypes constantly. It was that, you know, that I wasn't the owner, that I was just somebody's girlfriend. It was that my dad maybe was the owner, you know, my husband maybe was the owner. And that as a woman, I would be making very sweet drinks and that rum is inherently only silly and sweet. And so I took a lot of hate out at coconut rum. Plus I never had a coconut rum I liked. I wasn't interested in anything I'd had. So when my sister says to me, head of sales says, we need a coconut rum. I was like, hell no. Like it's the last thing I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to die on this point. You know, I'm going to be a coconut rum martyr. And she was like, but I have a really good idea. And so her and Brett got together, not behind my back, but kind of behind my back. And they started R and D ways to make an insanely delicious lion coconut rum, right? Because we had done it with coffee. There's a lot of uh, pretty mediocre coffee liqueurs out there. 
that rely on coffee extract and they're really sweet. And we had made a coffee liqueur that was local fresh roasted coffee, chocolate shells, like beautiful, full of booze. And so they, they made a bunch of, of coconut rum and brought me something that was pretty much one of the best things I've ever put in my mouth. And it was delicious. And it tasted like a toasted coconut cake that someone had just baked. And uh, basically what they decided to do was to take shredded coconut and toast it. And the first batch is they were toasting it on the stovetop. Um, now we do it in large commercial kitchens. Um, and they infused it in and let it set and then strained it out and then sweetened it just so. And when it's fresh, you know, it's, it's shelf stable, but I will say there's no time like that first year that it's made because every successive year, it's almost like the rummy character of it claws its way back against all that organic natural coconut. So when it's first bottled, it is a creamy kind of beige color. Um, all the oils are suspended. You open it up and it's just an explosion. Over time, the oils will start to separate. Um, you kind of shake it hard. Sometimes in a big bottle, it'll actually, the oils will chunk into chunks. And it's fine because it's 30% alcohol, but it starts to become rummier over time. So if you've had your little bottle, which I think you have for a couple of years now. I was saving it for this moment. Now I I, I'm, I'm hearing, I should not have saved it. Drink the darn it, thing. It's going to be great, but it's just in that first six months to year, it, it's explosive. You open it up and you're like, who just took a cake out of the oven? Like, it's amazing. And some of that does regrettably fade away, which is one reason we do not wholesale it. You can only get it at the distillery or at a farmer's market when we're making it. We only make it a few months of the year. So April to August, you can buy coconut rum from us. We encourage you to enjoy it in the moment. Um, but if you have an older bottle at home, uh, rest assured, even if it starts looking separated, it is fine. It's just the nature of those organic oils that are heavier than alcohol. Uh, my advice is to mix it into a classic daiquiri. Don't add any sugar. Two parts coconut rum, one part fresh squeezed lime. Shake, shake, shake. Strain it out. Divine daiquiri. This is like a mix between understanding, learning all that's going on at Lion Rum and cocktails with Jamie. <laughs> well, we sell to a number of fantastic bars and restaurants from, you know, Michelin rated, lovely to dive bars on the corner, you know, that just pour our rum into shot glasses. Um, but we really make rum for people at home. And I know that I've always known that our rum is consumer rum. It's for someone who has that at their house and is going to enjoy it. So I've tried to really spend the last few years understanding how people enjoy it. Simple cocktails that are minimal effort and maximum reward. And also it's just the way I drink it. So the things that we like, you know, we make rum that we love and people that love it, buy it too. Um, luckily there's enough of them that love it. So what we make, they buy. Um, and so I make cocktails in the same vein. So I hate a list of cocktail ingredients that is this long for one drink. Uh, I'm not going to make that. If uh, anybody's listening to the podcast, Jamie just made oh. a motion that's seven feet long because oh. you can't see that over the speakers. But I just want to explain for the yes. listener. Yes. Yes. And so I <laughs> it's a huge long. list. You know, my favorite cocktails have three ingredients maximum. And hopefully one of those ingredients is ice. Um, so... I really try to do that and make simple things. You know, it's funny because people always want to ask me for complicated stuff. And I'm like, get back to basics, you know, like the simpler, the better. Um, last night I made a drink for an event and I pureed frozen bananas, uh, put our dark rum in the Ninja Bullet with these frozen bananas, effectively making a 
caramel rum banana soft serve and then thinned it out with oat milk and our coffee rum. So it was kind of a riff on like a dirty banana, but it was so much better and it was so silky and gorgeous. And I was like, yeah, man, this is it. It wasn't hard, right? It wasn't a gazillion ingredients. It wasn't, um, you know, all these steps, but also I don't really cook. I'm not, I'm not a cook. I'm not a baker. I like everything to be, you know, fairly simple. All right. I'm picking my mouth up off the floor as you're describing that cocktail, whatever that, that amazing cocktail you made with the bullet and all that stuff. I I will say my experience and, and I poured your dark rum and I enjoyed that. And I, there's so many notes and personality that come out of that. And the coffee, your coffee rum, your coffee liqueur is just outstanding. Thank you. And I don't want to gloss over things because I think what's really important as my experience here and tasting with you is that the consistency is in the quality. The consistency is in the ingredients and the focus on making the best of the best. And that seems to be the characteristic of what Lion does. It's the best of the best. You're going to find the best ingredients. You're going to take time to create the best recipe and find and source the best ingredients possible, then you don't need all those additional flavorings and, you know, syrups and all these things to make a cocktail if you start with this. And this is why 10 years later, your rum is highly acclaimed and people seek you out. And that's a that's a compliment to you. Kudos to you for taking that risk of driving to Kentucky and allowing other people to enjoy this, you know, experience that you created for the world. Well, you know, we touched on this a bit, you know, in our pre-conversation, um, where, you know, yeah, it's 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 great to say that and thank you. Um, but me starting this has nothing really to do with where we are now. Uh the reasons for starting the first year, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're starting something, okay. And I'll, I'll, I'll brush with broad strokes. <laughs> uh, the entrepreneur for the most part, when they're starting, it's a self-serving enterprise. They have an idea. They have a great idea. They might think that it serves others. They might actually serve others. They might be creating a product or a service that is going to change humankind. Um, but nine times out of 10, it's somebody who has something inside of them that they want to get out, right? And so they want to they want to make this thing. So it's 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 fueled by your own desire. And so if you do that and bring it to market, kudos to you. That's really awesome. If people like it and they actually buy it, you you really nailed the second step. But if you can continue on that path, continue to make something that you are proud of, that has all the integrity that you care about that you want to put your literal name to. I mean, me and my team sign every single label of this rum and there's a different name on every bottle based on who invented the recipe or who has the most to do with it. Um, and so that's really important. And, and we mean it. It's not a stamped signature. I mean, there's a pile of white rum labels on my desk to sign before Monday when they bottle the next batch of white rum. Um, and so we literally stand behind it in every way. But you have to remember that you're you're making something that people want and respond to, right? And so you're in the end, you're successful if you can do both. If you can still be true to your vision, but you're making something that is responsive to 
your consumer. So you can do that either by playing to the industry, making what you think the industry wants or what everybody says is, um, is, is very popular right now or what's on target or, you know, let's talk about RTDs for five seconds because that's all the time they deserve. Everyone has been asking me for years when I'm going to make an RTD, when I'm going to put my rum in cans. Uh, never. It's disgusting. I don't drink RTDs. I don't think you need to um, because you've got enough of what you're expressing out of the distillery. I I, I think that RTDs filled a niche or are filling a niche. But I also think that, hey, there are people like you that say, that, that we're not that's not that's not our lane that's not where we're driving yeah, to that's the off ramp to disneyland right exactly. you have to say like it's not for me and it is for someone else right and, and which is fine i love them like my some of my best friends have i've gone to their house and they have a bunch of ready to drink cans and they're like i wish you made this i'm not gonna do that right now never say never i've done a lot of things that i never thought i would want to do um but all that i've been ready for and i've done because I wanted it. Um, right so, now, Brett and your sister are in the back with uh, a canning line. Now I got to keep an eye on those two. So, uh, you know, you have to stay true to that. But again, it's more about being responsive um, in, a, in, in a way that is true to your ethos and your mission. Um, but you're paying attention because there's a lot of companies, beverage or otherwise, that don't pay attention and they die. Right. Because they're so steadfast on this thing that they care about that nobody else is 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 into. Um, And then vice versa. There's companies that completely are only responsive to whatever is a fad in the market um, and they lose their soul. So I just feel super lucky that I've been able to toe that line and still be incredibly proud of every single thing that comes out of our house. Um, But also know that we have some really loyal um, lion rum lovers. I mean, when I. When I'm walking through the marshals in town and a girl comes up to me and says, hi, I follow you on Instagram and you make my favorite rum. That just makes my heart sing. Um, and I think that I, I'm, I'm very I'm very famous in, in my accounts for saying, I'm not here to sell you a new bottle of rum. I'm here to sell you your new favorite bottle of rum. And if that's Lion, then that's what I'm going to do. And if it's not, it's okay. You're going to find your favorite thing. You know, I don't want to be a rum that sits on a shelf anywhere at your home or anywhere. I want it to be something that you love and you drink or you share with others. And that's, that's the goal. You should put on the label, drink me now. And if you don't, we'll come and pick you up and give it to somebody that wants to drink this. Right. Yeah, that's Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. yeah that, that's perfect for me. Hey, I, I need to drink this because if, if I don't, Jamie's coming to my house and she's taking back Jamie's my box. It's not for you. It's for me. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I started learning that during, that was one thing I learned during COVID. So when I started doing, um, I was very resistant, but when I eventually started doing Zoom tastings and cocktail classes, because I just I was resistant, I didn't think it would convey. I, I I love in person, I love people. I do everything I do because I love people. Um, and I started realizing that people would sign up for our classes and say, oh, well, I already have all the rum. I just don't know what to do with it. I bought a bottle of coffee rum six years ago and it's so pretty and it just sits here. And I was like, oh man, we've got to get people drink because not everybody drinks neat. So you can drink all of our spirits neat, uh, but not everybody does. So I had to figure out simple, delicious ways for them to, you know, for that spirit to meet them where they were. So there was nothing cooler than being zoomed into people's kitchens and saying, all right, what's in your cabinet? You oh, that's so cool. Oh, you have maple syrup. Let's make a cocktail with that. You know, I love that. All right. I have to ask you, here is the job interview question. <laughs> 
Where do you see you or Lion Rum in five years? Oh, that's a bogus question. I can't answer it. It's I, not people, a bogus question. People have been asking me that for the last 10 years. I, I feel like it's a my cousin Vinny question while you're on the stand. And yeah, it's a bogus question. Come on. Okay. So I guess if I really had to answer it honestly, um, the same. If we can just, I am so happy with our company. We are not the biggest. We are not everywhere, you know, we, but we are small. We are sustainable, both, I think, on an environmental level and a, you know, functional level. Uh, I have a fantastic core team. Uh, everyone's very happy. I think they're very fulfilled. Um, so I, my metrics of success are we make a product we love, we sell that product, we employ great people. Um, it's a light, it's the definition of a lifestyle business. Um, if all of our lifestyles change in the next five years, then the company's going to need to change. But if we're all really happy, um, then it, it's it's a wild success. Um, you know, I don't have a bunch of investors I have to please. I don't have a board that I answer to. Um, I just love making something that connects people and that fuels all of our life. That energy, that joy is infectious to what I hear your experience of life is. And yes, that's not a bogus answer. It wasn't a bogus question. <laughs> and the reality of it is, if in five years, you can have the same joy yes. and yes. do what you do and share that with people and people get to share that and be a part of their life, that's that's the perfect place to be in five years. That's, and that's you know, awesome. I'm glad you put it that way because you helped me understand it. Because you know, so many times I give, in the last few years, um, I've given a lot of very businessy interviews and I was, you know, named the, you know, Eastern shore businesswoman of the year and things like that. And so when I, when I find myself, I, I saw that sash, you know, you had Eastern, <laughs> yeah. didn't you have the sash? <laughs> Let me get it out of the closet and put it on. Um, you know, I, I get very uncomfortable. I like business. I think it's fascinating. Um, but I'm not, I don't run a business because I love business. I run this business because I love people. Um, and, and it's just, it's a means to doing it. And so, um, I'm proud to say we've been in business for as long as we have and that we are, you know, doing well, um, and growing still always growing and always, you know, uh, expanding. Um, we're on the cusp. If we can get through the building permit process of opening up another 3000 square feet next door and, um, opening a cocktail bar, which will be super cool, but you know, it's either going to happen or it's not because that's how things go. But, um, I, I don't, I do not operate, nor do I project in the same way that my friends in business operate and project and, and even my friends in the distilling industry. So, um, in the first couple of years, everyone that I met in this industry was kind of, it was a passion project. And that's where, that's where it started for us uh, at Lion. And now more and more, the distilleries I meet are a financial project um, that is set up for an exit strategy and a sell and, and, you know, an acquisition. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, that is a business person's approach. Um, I do not run Lion based on the bottom line. Never have and never will. Um, I'm not going to change, um, you know, my printer or my cork maker um, because I can save a couple of cents. I, I work with people who make fantastic things. Um, we have a nice supply chain. That's more important to me. So when costs go up, um, you don't really see costs going up at the distillery. I figure out other ways to just write that in. Um, so that said, it is about the joy. 
So most people would say in five years, I want to do this much percentage more. I want to sell this many more bottles. Nope. I just want to keep connecting this realm with people that love it. And like you said, so wonderfully, I'm going to steal that because that, that's <laughs> the same joy I want. And you know, I haven't had that the whole time. I'd be lying if I said- No, it's not like that. Same joy. Yeah. You know, opening the distillery was one of the most fun, exciting, insane things I've ever done in my life. And it has been an absolute roller coaster. And there were times when I lost the joy, but all I have to do, honestly, no matter how stressed out or miserable I am is walk into my tasting room and spirit shop and spend a few hours introducing people to rum and it will turn my entire day around. Um, so I need to stay connected. So whereas most founders are ready to like step out and step back, I'm like, sign me up for the farmer's market next week. I'm in. Like, I love it. It makes me really happy. People fuel yeah. you. Yeah. People, you know, that that's what gives you that that purpose, that sense of, hey, this is what I'm here to do. I don't want to miss something. Yeah. Um, the coffee rum yeah. is absolutely fabulous. Thanks. The coffee is local. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Where, who's who's the coffee from? I don't want to miss that. Yeah, so them the a- coffee, um, our coffee grounds come from a local coffee roastery called Rise Up Coffee. Uh, they have been in business, gosh, either f- between 15 and 20 years. So they're older than we are. They started as a tiny like drive-through hut uh, here in St. Michael's. They have now expanded to multiple locations across the state of Maryland. Uh, they source all of their coffee is organic, fair trade. And not only that, their team and their founder go down to the farms, work with the farmers, promise them fair pricing before the harvest season. Like they do everything the right way. So not only is their coffee good, their company is better. Their ethos matches and exceeds anything that I would want to align my company with. And so that's how we choose our partners. So we proudly put their name on our bottle of coffee rum. Um, and then we also work with uh, regional cacao producers uh, in the area that make bean to bar chocolate. And then we use cacao shells from them. Uh, we use a smaller amount of cacao and it hasn't been as consistent. Um, so we haven't developed one relationship uh, with one cacao producer, but the coffee really is the is the defining feature of that rum. And coffee rum was what Brett wanted to make when he came to the distillery. He actually sent me illegally and hilariously a small vial of some coffee infused liqueur that he had made with this handwritten note saying how he wanted to work for us. Um, of course, because that doesn't seem sketchy to me at all. I immediately opened the vial and drank it and was like, this is damn good. Who is, <laughs> um, you know, so I he, trust everybody. <laughs> why not? It's alcohol. Come on. What, what right. um, so that, that is a hundred percent a result of Brett's uh, talent and vision in that bottle. Uh, and then of course, yeah, the, the partnership with a, with a local coffee roastery and really good coffee farmers. It's delicious. It's, it's look, if you are not going to be in St. Michael's or don't have plans to go make plans. (laughs) I really can't wait. I, I really hope your tasting room does happen because when you describe some of these cocktails and the experience and the environment that you're going to create, I can't wait to see that and be there and enjoy that. See? But these are first rate, amazing spirits. And I, I would hate to have gone through life and not have tried these. So thank you for doing that. That's, that's wonderful. But if, if, all right, if, if you're somewhere else, do you ship? Okay. Can, so can people we are get still, what you make? 
Yeah. So we're prohibited from shipping from the distillery. Um, we still don't have that right, but we have a fantastic retail partner in Florida. Um, they can ship to 47 states. So if you go to our website, uh, www.lionrub.com or just Google number one craft rum distillery in the country and you'll find us and you'll find our website. So it's really easy. Um, and uh, they sell our core rums and ship them directly from their warehouse. Uh, but we're also available pretty widely throughout you know, Maryland, DC, Delaware, New York, New Jersey, Louisiana. Um, so we have, we have a few key States, uh, really places that I like to drink, eat and visit. Um, and I like how you just glossed over Pennsylvania. Thank you very much. Okay. We would love to be <laughs> Pennsylvania rich, but we all know that is a mafia esque situation up there. Our, um, our distributor actually, our distributor in New York and New Jersey also handles Pennsylvania, but it is, um, it is like climbing Mount Kilimanjaro with no, you know, legs to get into the Pennsylvania state. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and we miss out on so much. We really do. Yeah, and it's, it's hard. Look, th- thankfully, the Delaware and New Jersey are close. And really, St. Michael's is close, too. And yeah. we can't wait to come down and visit with you again. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been a treat. This is like th- when 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 Dawn said Jamie is uh, is available, I said, this just made my day. I, I love I, it. Me too. And, and and I and and I'm so grateful for your time today. I know I know you have a lot going on with uh, what you're doing, but thank you so much. Thanks for being a friend of Fermented Adventure, and uh, we definitely can't wait to come down and uh, see all that you're doing in person and coming back with our adult size bottles. <laughs> I love it. Oh, thank you so much. This is it's great. It's always it is you know people say it all the time, but it is a privilege to be able to reflect on you know what what we're doing here and why we're doing it and seeing it through the lens of someone else. So you're very generous with all of your compliments. I hope you really liked them as much as you said you did, because I'm also totally okay with someone telling me why they don't like something. I don't, we, first our, of all, we don't talk to people that we don't like their product. I mean, and, and everybody's palate's different. Yeah, totally. But, but sincerely, these, we, we, these are, are wonderful. And every word was, was heartfelt and uh, you know, exactly how I felt about it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.